two weeks to go. You're almost there. You have almost made it. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. Open them up to Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter seven. Here is your disclaimer. We're gonna sing another song at the end too, by the way. So we're not, we're not done with worship. There's a purpose in splitting them today. So we'll get to another song at the end. Um, here's the deal. I'm doing Romans seven today. The second half of Romans chapter seven, I think is immensely important for us to understand and apply to our lives. But this may be one of the most debated passages in all of Romans. And there are really good arguments on both sides. And so frankly, it doesn't matter what I say today, somebody's either not gonna like it or gonna criticize it, and they're gonna have a valid argument to do so. So I'm just gonna preach it the way I think it needs to be preached and not care. Is that okay? Is that all right? So that's what we're gonna do. All right, so Romans chapter seven. Let me set it up this way. Romans chapter six, we talked about it. Main idea, we are no longer slaves to sin. So in our unregenerate state, in our unsaved state, we are slaves to sin. We can't not sin. We are going to sin. We have the sin nature we've inherited from Adam. We are gonna do things that are wrong. There's no other option. The good news for us in Romans chapter six is, hey, once you're in Christ, once you have identified yourself with Jesus Christ, once you have been buried in the waters of baptism to identify yourself with him, and you consider yourself then dead to sin because you have identified with Christ, you are no longer slaves to sin. And to that, we all say, amen, right? So we all say, amen. all right. And then you're sitting there thinking, but wait a second, because this Christian life still seems really hard. It still seems difficult. So then what Paul's gonna do in chapter seven, we're gonna skip the first six verses. But what he's gonna do in chapter seven is he's gonna talk to us about the struggle of the Christian life. He's gonna talk to us about our problem with the law. He's gonna talk to us about the purpose of the law. And then after we get through Romans chapter seven, because you got a long Christmas break, so I'm giving you a little foreshadowing here. You get to chapter eight, and in chapter eight, he's gonna bring on the good news that there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus and that we can have victory through the power of the Spirit. So in Romans 7, we're gonna be stuck in the I, the me, and the my that ends with wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? But in Romans chapter 8, we're gonna get to the power in life, life and the power of the Spirit where we can then have victory and freedom. We're adopted in Christ. And so right now, we have gotta sit where we are and we are in Romans 7. Romans 7 can be viewed by some as Adam's story. Romans 7 is viewed by some as Israel and they identified with Moses and went through the Red Sea and then the, the Ten Commandments came and all of a sudden they started sinning all over the place and sin just blossomed and flourished. This can be taken as an unbeliever. Uh, this could be taken as Paul telling his story of an unbeliever and then a believer or this could be taken as addressed to believers. If you wanna see the argument for an unbeliever, uh, that's Douglas Moo. He does a great job in his commentary making that argument. I actually like the way that Schreiner talks about this in his commentary where he talks about this is the inability of the law. The law doesn't save unbelievers and the law, legalism, doesn't really help believers either. And so what we see here is a common problem that all of us have and an inability to keep the law. So here is the way that I have listed your main idea. The main idea is to recognize our wretched condition. What well, isn't that a lovely Christmas message? Recognize our wretched condition. So write that down. 
Because what we need to do is make sure we come to the end of ourselves so that we learn to rely on the power of the Spirit. We recognize our need for Scripture. We recognize the desperate need we have to be plugged into a local church, to have other believers who can come alongside of us and lock arms and encourage us. And until you get to the point where you've come to the end of yourself, until you get to the point as that drowning victim to where you are no longer fighting with the person trying to save you, but you have just given up as you have just decided, I have no hope and allowed the person to rescue you. Until you get to that point, you're not ready for life and the power of the spirit because we're gonna pick it back up and we're gonna say, no, 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 I can do this in my own power. And then that cycle is going to continue as we fail over and over again as we try to do things in our own power rather than relying on God. So here's your outline. We're gonna look at seven through 13 as the purpose of the law. And then we're gonna look at 14 through 25 as our problem with the law. So before we read through this, let me just point some things out that I want you to see, particularly in the second half. 7, 14 through 25 uses present tense. It shifts to a present tense. This is one of the reasons I think Paul is describing a struggle that he has. And listen, this is great news for us because there are many of you that are in the room right now and you struggle with sin and you mess up and you're like, what is wrong with me? I am broken. And I wanna say to you, that's where Paul is right here. Paul is saying in, in the second half of this, I don't do what I wanna do. I do the things I don't wanna do. I can't get this straight. There's a problem with me. And so if you're in the room and you have a really sensitive conscience and you're like, something is wrong with me, the answer to that is yes, and Jesus is the answer and you have gotta lean into Jesus. And the other thing I want you to catch is you're not alone in this. Sometimes what the devil will do is make us think there's something wrong with me that's not wrong with everybody else. And this text gives us an encouragement to say, this is a present struggle we all have. You are not alone in your own mess. All of us have messes. Now our messes may be different. Our temptations may be different. But this is why we start with no Bible, no breakfast. This is why we lean into chapel. This is why we have a Bible minor. It's because we recognize our wretched condition means that we have to have help. And that help comes from Jesus and comes from the Spirit. You're gonna notice in here over 39 times, I, me, and my. Because Romans chapter seven is the I, me, my chapter. This is me trying to pull up my bootstraps. When we get to Romans chapter eight, you're gonna see the power of the spirit. You're gonna see the spirit mentioned about 19 times. It's only mentioned once in chapter seven. That's in verse six. So this is the I, me, my. So if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, I've got this. I'm gonna be that Christian that does it all in my power. Well, nobody else has ever been able to do that except Jesus, so good luck with that. But you've gotta figure out to come to the end of that and where that leaves you. That's what I want this text to do. 7.16 talks about an unbeliever states that the law is good. Now, would an unbeliever ever state the law is good? I don't think so. That's why I think this is talking about Paul as a believer. 7.18, it says that we have a desire to do what is right. And there's nothing good in us, but that's limited to the flesh. That's another reason I think this is a current struggle for us. 21 says he wants to do what's right. Would an unbeliever want to do what's right? 22, would unbelievers delight in the law of God in their inner being? Verse 23, there's a war of two natures described. Well, if we're under slavery to sin in chapter six, do you even have two natures if you're an unbeliever? Verse 24, does an unbeliever long for deliverance from sin? 
Verse 25, only a Christian would say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And at the end of verse 25, there's still a contrast there. With my mind, I wanna serve the Lord, but with my flesh, there's another law that's warring within me. And even the struggle against sin, I believe is a sign of someone who is a believer. A lot of unbelievers, they don't wanna struggle against sin. They embrace it, they glory in it, they glory in others who are sinning. And so that's the reason I'm gonna take this from this perspective. Let's read our text. I'm gonna read it all today. That's one reason I'm skipping the first six verses. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of the word of God if you're able to do so? Romans chapter seven. Paul's talked bad about the law. He's talked about how it does all these things that aren't good for us. So he answers the question here. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Here's his purpose. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, the law, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I didn't even know that it exists. For I once was alive apart from the law, but when that law came, when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is not evil. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. Sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. Underline, highlight, star. There's your purpose of the law, very succinctly stated. The law exists to show us that sin might be sin so that we see our need for a savior. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. This is where you should find great encouragement because Paul's right where I am. This is where I find great encouragement. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what's right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin, that dwells in my members, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us just to catch a glimpse of what you are trying to communicate to us through Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Lord, these are your words 
to us, to challenge us, and to comfort us. Lord, there's no way to do this passage justice, so I pray that you would guard my words and help, help us just to think deeply and help the Spirit to fill in the gaps. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you may be seated. Okay, let's walk through this. So we start in verse seven. What's the purpose of the law? He says, what shall I say then? That the law is sin. By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So here, we automatically start off with, I didn't know this was wrong. Have you ever walked past a sign that said wet paint? How many of you are as sinfully depraved as I am that when you see a sign that says wet paint, the first thing you wanna do is touch it to see if it's really still wet? Anybody? There's a few of us honest people in the room. That, that's my inclination. That's exactly where I am. The law comes along and the law says, this is wrong, don't do this. And when somebody says, don't do this, what do I wanna do? I wanna do that. I wanna do it whether it's bad or whether it's even good. Like, you shouldn't go do this or you can't do that. And my first inclination inside of my flesh is, oh yeah, watch me. Anybody feel that? That feeling is a sinful feeling. That feeling is our flesh and our pride welling up inside of us to say, I'm gonna show you who I am. You don't know me. I can do this. That's pride. And yet that's the way we're wired. And you're not alone if you're wired that way. There's a whole bunch of us that are wired that way. And so what the devil wants to do is make you think you're broken and you're alone and you're worthless instead of letting you realize that this is the human condition, that we are all broken, that we all need to be returned to the sender because it is defective equipment. And when we return to the sender and are born again, then through the power of the spirit, we can actually start doing things the right way. That's the encouraging news for you today. Lock arms because we all have this struggle and then pursue climbing the mountain together and nobody falls down the mountain. We grab, we grab them. We keep encouraging them to fall forward, to keep moving forward, to see it. This law comes. It, I wouldn't have known the sin without the law, but the law comes and it says, tells me what it is to covet. It says, you shall not covet. Now, why covetousness? I don't know. I'm not Paul. Here's my best guess. My best guess is he picks covetousness because it's of the mind, it's not an action that we do. But others have stated that it's also the one that leads to all the others. Why is it that you steal? You steal because somebody has something that you want. You have coveted that thing because you think you have to have it, so you go steal it. Why is it that you commit adultery? Because you want something that you can't have and it's not right for you to have it, but in your mind, you think, I really need to have this, and so you go do this. It's the heart and the mind that's so broken. We might resist killing somebody, murdering somebody, but in our minds, we think thoughts of that person that we have already murdered them in our heart, and we can't stop thinking those thoughts because we're broken, because we have a sin nature inside of us that drives us to wanna do these things. And this may be why he picks this one, is because none of you out there can say, well, I've never coveted. We're just going that test. I don't wanna tell you. Why not? Because I know it's higher than yours. What'd you score? I got a 98. What did you get? I'm not telling you. Because I only got a 92. And now I'm gonna feel depressed because I got a 92 on a test for the rest of the day because I want your 98. I got a 92 on a test. That's nothing to feel depressed about. 
until we covet what somebody else has done. And all the C's get degrees, just clap. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, Yeah, I learned this weekend what math means, by the way. Mental abuse to humans. I just learned that for the first time this weekend. I don't, I'm not saying I endorse that view. Oh, this is over the side too. Did y'all see the New York Times today? Probably not, because most people don't get up and read the New York Times right after they read their Bible. But do y'all know what the word of the year is according to Oxford? Riz. (laughs) It is, I'm telling you. I have no clue what that word means. I understand it comes from charisma. Y'all can figure it out. I'll read the article later, but I took note this morning. I have no clue how I got to that point, but coveting. Yeah, we were on coveting. Here we go. But sin then, seizing the opportunity through that commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. When you tell me, don't covet that, oh, what do I do? I covet it. That's what I want. This is the human condition. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Now, that doesn't mean you're not sinning. It just means you don't know that you're sinning. You don't know that you're doing something wrong. And so it's not a transgression of violating a rule that you didn't know existed. You're still sinful. You're still bad. You're still evil. But what it's saying is once the law comes, it just makes it all the worse. The very commandment that promised life brought death to me. It made it worse. Why did you tell me I couldn't do that stuff? Because as soon as you told me I couldn't do it, it made me want to do it all the more. Anybody relate? Anybody in the room feel that? I do. So the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. What a gift that God would communicate to us and tell us what his standards are so that we would know this is how you please God. This is how you please the one who created you, the one to which you have to steward what he's given you, the one that's gonna hold us accountable I mean, this is, this is like a good faculty member who tells you what's gonna be on the test and then holds you accountable. Not the faculty members that never tell you what's on the test or they tell you one thing and then they test you on everything else in the world and you're like, what in the world do I do? You like the faculty members who say, this is what's gonna be on the test. I just have to get this and then I'm gonna do okay because I'm gonna put in the work. God tells us, here it is. And then we say, wait a second, I can't do it. This is it. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means, it was sin. It's not the law that's the problem, it's sin. Producing death in me through what is good, here's your point, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. So how do I know it's sin? The law tells me. How do I know I'm a sinner? The law tells me. How do I know I can't keep the law? Because I try and I keep failing over and over again, so the law then points me to the fact I need grace, I need a savior, I need Jesus, I need the cross. That's what the law is supposed to do. So there we go. And through the commandment or the law, might become sinful beyond measure. You say, wait a second, I'm not sinful beyond measure. Sure you are. We all are. Because the more we grow in our faith, the more we recognize that there are even sinful things behind the good things we do. Why is it that we go and do this good thing? Because we wanna put it on social media and have other people see how great we are so that we'll please other people and other people will talk about how good of a Christian I am because I want that reputation. And so my idol at that moment is people pleasing other people and the idolatry of being perceived as the perfect Christian. And so even my motives behind good things sometimes are wicked and evil because I've got pride in my own life and I'm trying to put up a perception that's false. And the law comes along and says, no, No pride, there's nothing good in you. Love God, love others. There's nothing good that's in you. So we move to our second point here. Our second point, we're gonna see our conflict with the law. 
So we see the purpose of the law, now we see our conflict. What's our conflict with the law? Well, first off, we can't keep it. So look at what it says in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law, it's good. If I don't do the thing I wanna do, the fact that I want to do it means I'm agreeing with the law that that's a good thing. But then I can't do it. I don't keep it. So it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that dwells within me. So have you ever heard the, the, the old problem, the devil made me do it? Or have you ever, in the South, I've, I've heard this one. You'd say, well, you just got in the flesh. Has anybody ever heard the saying, got in the flesh? Nobody, there's a few of us. Has anybody ever heard the devil made me do it? There's a few more of you that have heard the devil made me do it. Okay, first off, that's no excuse. But this is where it's coming from. It's sin that's in us, and so we wanna blame it on the sin that dwells within us. The sin is the problem with us. It's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. Now notice how that's limited to my flesh, because some would say, wait a second, this can't be a believer because he says nothing good dwells within him, but he limits it to the flesh here. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. And, and here's your point. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Anybody feel that in the room? I wanna put this issue behind me. I don't wanna lean into pride. I don't wanna lean into gossip. I don't wanna use food as a crutch to make me feel better. I don't wanna look at things I shouldn't be looking at. I don't wanna have thoughts run through my head that run through my head. Why is it I can't do the good stuff I wanna do, but instead I keep on doing the bad stuff? Now, if I do not do what I want, it's no longer I who does it, but it's the sin that dwells in me. Okay, time out, let's bring this to modern day. Um, can you think of an example of this? That, that two natures type concept of there's, I wanna do one thing, but I can't do the one thing, I always do the other thing. Now, if you go back in history, it's real easy because this is the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Anybody ever read the short story or the short novel, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde? So if you haven't, here's the brief summary. You have Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll, this, this brilliant doctor who figures out that he's gonna create a potion that will then limit his evil, wicked side, Mr. Hyde, the part he wishes to hide of him, to the nighttime. And so he can limit the bad person to the nighttime, and so he creates this potion, and when Mr. Hyde is there, then Mr. Hyde can go out and do whatever he wants to, and he does it without any concern about what's gonna happen. But the problem with the story is that eventually, Dr. Jekyll can no longer control turning into Mr. Hyde. And he turns into Mr. Hyde, and eventually Mr. Hyde takes over. And this is a struggle that's written in a compelling way that stood the test of time. I mean, this, this was written in the 1800s. And this comes out and it stands the test of time because it talks about this inner conflict that we all have between a bad, evil, sinful nature, the flesh, as Paul calls it, that's the leftover residue even after we're saved, and the fact that we're a new creation in Christ. And there is a constant struggle and a war going on between these two. So I try to think of other examples because I didn't think many of you had read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, at least not all of you. Can you think of any other examples? How about early Incredible Hulk? And I'm not talking about the late Incredible Hulk where he puts on his glasses and he's 
doing serving food and he's, he's learned to exist with his two whatevers. I'm talking about the early Incredible Hulk. I'm talking about the, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Incredible Hulk. I'm talking about the smash, smash, smash Incredible Hulk. Anybody seen that Incredible Hulk? Does that relate? Where you have Dr. Banner, who is a respectable scientist, who gets exposed to a potion or gamma radiation. This sounds incredibly familiar, doesn't it? It's like we just keep retelling classic stories over and over again. And then the evil side of him comes out with all of his anger and all of his muscles and he smashes and destroys. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. How about Anakin Skywalker? What does the emperor say to Anakin Skywalker? Embrace the dark side. Shh. <laughs> Embrace. I saw somebody taking a picture. There's a meme. Um, <laughs> embrace the dark side. Do you get it? Do you see it? I think you do because I think it's all of us. I think we have a desire. We want to love the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. But when we take the law and we put the law up as a mirror that shows us who we are, what we see is not something that's good and pleasing. What we see is that we don't do the things we want to do. We do the things we don't want to do. And I just can't get it right. And this is a cycle that continues. And friends, I want to say to you, this is why it's so important that we wake up every single morning. Let me back up. See if you relate to this. It's stressful. It's busy. I wake up. Oh, I just don't have time. I got too much to do. I got 30 emails in my inbox already from Cedarville. And I got to read. I got to go to class. I've got homework I've got to do. Oh, I just don't have time to read my Bible. And you go through that day. And when you go through that day, it's one mistake after another. And you're just like, no, nah, I got destroyed today. I did not live a life that pleased God today. I did not glorify him well. I got angry with my friends. I snapped at everybody. I mean, surely they understand because, you know, they're gonna give me grace, but I sure didn't extend that grace to them. Anybody ever been there? You hold up that mirror of the law and you look in the mirror and you go, that's not a good person. I can't do the things I need to do. Guess what? Tomorrow, his mercies are new every morning. And so we wake up the next morning and we say, listen, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different conclusion, a different result. And so the next morning when I wake up, Listen, I realize how bad I was yesterday. You better believe, no Bible, no breakfast. I'm gonna get in the word. It, it's not legalism. It's that I need this to transform my mind so that I'm not conformed to the world so that I can live in a way that's gonna please Christ. You better believe the first thing coming out of my mouth in the morning, the first prayer laying on the bed this morning when I looked over at the clock to wake up five minutes before my alarm was to go off was, Lord, will you help me to glorify you today? God, I'm preaching a text that's tough. And today, the devil wants to get victory 
and wants me to live this text, not to live chapter eight, where by the power of the Spirit, we can overcome these temptations, but where we don't do the things we wanna do. And so our first thought is, Lord, would you help me by the power of your Spirit, by your word, by the encouragement of others to live a life that glorifies you today? His, nurse, his mercies are new every morning. So if you blew it today, you get up tomorrow and you do something different. You get in the word. You listen to the word. You pray. You go through your habits of grace. You lock arms with other people. You have others who are encouraging you. I get a text message every morning with somebody praying for me with a scripture passage. I get a text message every night from an entirely different person who's not here at Cedarville with a scripture passage. Those are incredible gifts from God of people encouraging me in my life. You need that in your life. So here's what he says. There's nothing good that dwells in my flesh, for I do not do what I want, but the evil I do, that is what I want. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who does it, but it's the sin that dwells within me. That's your problem. That's my problem. Is that I have flesh, leftover residue of a sin nature, and it is a constant battle. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It's like the ring around your neck. But when you put it on your finger, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war. Notice the war language. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive. It wants to take me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so here, this constant war that's going on, this war that, friends, if you haven't recognized this war yet, this is the war of the Christian life. This is the battle that you have to fight daily against your own flesh, against a sinful nature, against temptations that come from the outside, against the world that we live in, against the devil. You have to fight these things. How do you fight these things? Well, Ephesians tells us about the, the armor of God that we can put on. We've already heard about that. And so every morning we wake up and we put on the armor of God and we say, today's a battle. I know it's a battle. The battle's coming. I may or may not win the battle today, but the good news is I have identified with the one who has already won the war. And so we can get up with his new mercies every single morning and prepare for the battle and engage in the battle and recognize by the power of the spirit, we can actually win the battle. And then when we fall, when we slip, we fall forward. We keep climbing. We grab others. We pull them up. That's what our goal is. That's what we have to do. It's another law that wages war against the law of my mind. God, I wanna serve you well. I wanna do what is right. I don't wanna do anything that's wrong. I don't wanna snap. I don't wanna have pride. I don't wanna do any of those things in my mind. But, but Lord, there's something that's just laying there. So who am I, wretched man that I am? Exclamation point. Can you hear Paul breaking out here? Even as he's describing this, we're no longer slaves to sin. Here's where we live our life. Wretched man that I am. You see the humility in this? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, but here's your good news. Because even in the flow of thought here, Paul has to stop and break out with good news. He's wretched. But thanks 
be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. Oh, but we expect him to say victory, right? We expect him to say we got it because through Jesus, it's all taken care of. And yet he says at the very end of this chapter, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. You don't have kids yet, but one day you will, most of you, or you'll be around them. And when you're around kids or when you have kids and they do something that's really wrong, ask them, why did you do that? And be prepared for the answer. I don't know. I just wanted to. Why is it that little kids do what's wrong naturally? It's because we have a sin nature. And until you recognize your wretched condition, you're not gonna be ready to embrace the spirit that will help us overcome it. So here's your application. Here's where I try to bring some balance to this too. All right, there are some of you in the room and you don't really care about your sin condition. You don't really care about your sin. You just don't care. You just live in life to have fun. You are a hedonist in the secular sense of that word. You just wanna do whatever makes you happy. You are the captain of your own ship and you are in that wretched person. You may even be an unbeliever sitting here and you need to be more concerned about your wretched state. Because if you're honest with yourself, you're not a good person. If you're honest with yourself, even more importantly than not being a good person, you're not saved and you're not gonna go to heaven one day and you're not gonna spend eternity with Jesus because you don't want what Jesus offers. That should scare you. But see here, I think this is probably more of you. I think more of you probably have a sensitive conscience and you're like, I can't, I can't be saved if I keep doing things that I don't wanna do. I, I can't be saved if I keep doing these things that don't please Christ. And you're all concerned about, am I really saved? Listen, if you're asking the question and greatly concerned about, am I really saved? That's a sign that you probably are saved. If you're greatly concerned about all of your sin because you're like, I can't believe I do this and call myself a Christian, that's a good sign that you probably are a Christian and that you're just like the rest of us. We're all messed up. So the caution I wanna bring is if you're in the room and you've got that really sensitive conscience and you know that, don't let this passage cause you to doubt your salvation. It's the really tough ones that put up that Teflon coating and say, I don't care. Those are the ones that you need to doubt your salvation. So how do you bring the hammer down on those who need to doubt their salvation without it hurting those who have a sensitive conscience? I'm just gonna pray the spirit will fill in the gaps and let you know where you are. So if you're in this room and you're not saved, I'm gonna pray the Spirit will not let you sleep tonight until you get saved. And if you're in the room right now and you just have a sensitive conscience, I'm just gonna pray that the Lord will give you confirmation that you are just like everybody else and we all wrestle with sin and we all wrestle with it daily and there are days we absolutely blow it and mess up, but the next day his mercies are new. And, and I want you to get this. It's not the I, the me, and the my. It's the power of the spirit. You can't do it in and of yourself. And there's some of you just like me. You wanna pull up your own bootstraps. You wanna work harder. I'm gonna make this thing happen. And the harder you work, the harder you realize I can't do it. That's where you need to be because now you're ready for Romans chapter eight. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's by the power of the Spirit. Okay, last point, and then we're gonna sing. How should this affect the way you interact with others? You see, here's what I see, here's what I see in my own mind sometimes. 
I suspect you see it too. I can't believe the other person does this. I'm so hard on other people in ministries or friendships. They call themselves a Christian and they do this. And I judge them by a standard that's way up here. But then when I do something wrong, it's like, wait a second, don't you realize that I'm just a sinner in need of a savior and I need grace and my standard is way down here. So my standard of you should offer me forgiveness falls at this level, but my standard of judging others falls at this level and I don't frequently offer the grace to others that I want them to offer to me. But this passage tells us we're all in the same boat, people. So when your friends do something that are wrong, when your friends get angry, when your friends tell something about you they shouldn't tell because they're gossiping, when your friends do all these things, yeah, because they're a sinner just like you and your response to that should be, hey, we can't do this, but I'm offering you grace because Jesus offered me grace and we're gonna lock arms and we're gonna do better together because we're gonna rely on the spirit and we're gonna lean into this thing called authentic Christian community. But if you're that person who you're holding everybody up here, oh, I'm not going to church because religious people are mean. Religious people were mean to Jesus too. They put him on a cross and killed him. Get over it. What about ministry? I don't want to be in ministry because of people. Yeah, people like you. They're just like you. I don't want to be in ministry because when I look at somebody else, I see me. Hopefully a few years ago, but I see me. So let's offer grace to everybody. Romans 6 tells us we're no longer a slave to sin. Romans 7 tells us we can't have victory through the flesh or through the law. And Romans 8 is gonna tell us that by the power of the Spirit, it's not over. Friends, we're fighting a battle every single day. But we're fighting a battle that he's already won. So maybe right now, where you are, you just need to pray. Maybe right now you wanna come down front and pray. That's perfectly fine. Maybe you just wanna ask the Lord to forgive you or grant you his mercies that are new every morning. Maybe you wanna sing of his praises because he is the one that rescues us from this wretched body of death. Dear Lord, whatever each student needs, would you supply that through your spirit? Any words that I've said that may not be helpful, Lord, would you just help them to forget them all? But Lord, anything that sticks with the truth of your scripture, would you allow it to stick in our soul? Would you allow it to encourage us? Would you allow us to replace the lies of the devil with the truth of scripture? Lord, would you help us to recognize there is a war going on? And that we have to prepare for the battle. Each and every day, we have to prepare for the battle. Lord, would you help us to give you the glory to rely not on ourselves, but on the spirit. Lord, would you help us to recognize our wretched condition so that we will lean into the spirit for your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen.